The race for Missouri lieutenant governor is typically below the radar, especially compared to contests for governor or the U.S. Senate. But after a former inhabitant of that office ascended to the governorship, the 2020 light gov race is getting a closer look. Former Kansas City Councilwoman Alicia Kennedy is trying to bring the office back into the Democratic fold, and she joins us on the latest episode of Politically Speaking to talk about her campaign. Let's hit the music. This is the Politically Speaking podcast, the definitive show about Missouri politics. It's a little complicated in Bolivar because there is a Parsons family there. But we also knew that it was important to make sure that that we got to where we needed to go. You know if you walk in a room and you're getting ready to make a decision and everybody in the room looks like you, you need to stop. And right now what happens in the United States Senate is as critical as anywhere else in the country. I really want the state to succeed. We want everybody to uh, know that we're all working together. I just worked hard to try to build my name where I didn't have the money. And welcome to Politically Speaking. I'm your host, St. Louis Public Radio political correspondent Jason Rosenbaum. Joining me as my co-host today, St. Louis Public Radio State House correspondent. Jacqueline Driscoll. And our very special guest today, uh, the Democratic nominee for lieutenant governor, our guest is. Alicia Kennedy. Thank you so much for joining us. This is part of our ongoing series to talk with all the statewide candidates of major parties this year. Um, let's let's start off pretty simple. I want to get to know a little bit more about you, your background, how you got involved in politics, and why you've decided to enter the crazy world of Missouri statewide politics. So that's like a five-part question. So I'm just going to start off with who are you and how did you get here? So my name is Alicia Kennedy. I am born and raised in Kansas City, Missouri, and um, uh, an attorney by profession. And how did I get here? Being as a Democratic nominee for lieutenant governor is a very long story. Um, part of that story includes me going to law school in South Dakota, believe it or not. So I've had the enriching experience of growing up uh, in Kansas City's east side, which is predominantly black uh, and urban. Uh, and then spent some time away uh, in, a, in the least diverse state in the country, South Dakota, uh, living in rural Vermilion, South Dakota. And um, very enriching experience because I got to see the best of both worlds. Um, it gave me an opportunity to be able to make some distinctions from how I grew up uh, and how others did, didn't look like me, didn't share my experiences, how they were raised and what values um, they present. And so I think um, that and then, you know, having an opportunity to travel around the world um, very much gave me a, a broader perspective on um, what living as an American citizen, because out of the country, I was treated as an American, not an African-American, not black. I was treated as an American with a passport. Um, and then the, the, the cultural differences of, of growing up African-American and those that aren't. And um, and, 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 and the very clear distinctions of what those experiences uh, look like. Fun fact, one of my first jobs in journalism was in Sioux City, Iowa, ah. parts of South Dakota. Actually, I was in, my news station was in South Dakota. So that is really interesting that you, that you were there. That's, it's such a different world there, it seems. It is, it is. It, it was a, a step back in time in some ways. But it was also really good because it gave me an opportunity to really 
um, kind of slow down a little bit and, you know, reassess, reevaluate. I went there because for law school, I knew I needed to be uh, in a different environment than, you know, around everything that's familiar to me so I could be really focused. Uh, and it really gave me, it forced me to do that. And I was ingratiated in a culture that was totally foreign to me. Um, but I, I, I loved it um, in a lot of ways because I got the chance to really do some introspective um, look at my life and myself. So I came out more confident in who I am and had more clarity about what my belief systems were and, and the ability to kind of challenge the things that uh, I grew up with is kind of, this is how it is. And I'm like, no, it's not that way everywhere. So I think it was an amazing growth opportunity um, and it really helped me develop in a lot of ways. You also, you were on the Kansas City City Council. Um, how did that provide you with the foundation to run? Um, so on the city council, um, I would say that, you know, part of the reason why I went to the city council was because I saw a lot of issues that needed to be addressed, quality of life issues. I worked as an assistant prosecutor in Jackson County. That's part of the story. Um, and part of my job was to proactively work with neighborhood groups to address uh, violent crime and dealing with blight and things like that. And in that experience, um, when I would talk with folks, they were like, you know, I'm thinking it's gonna be violent crime, gun violence. They were like, this abandoned house, uh, somebody's got substance abuse issues, somebody's got mental health issues, um, somebody's got somebody's kids, you know, a lot of grand families going on. And it was just a lot of dysfunction that needed to be addressed. And as a prosecutor, I'm trying to coordinate resources to address these issues that are not necessarily functions of the court necessarily, uh, unless you're being adjudicated. Now, drug court offers a lot of these resources, but again, my role is to be proactive to provide them uh, resources. So no one did go to jail and no one's kids got took and all that. And there were not sufficient community resources. Um, and that was the first time I really realized how, what the root causes were. Even though I grew up in this environment, you know, I had a pretty whole family. You know, my mom was a teen parent, but she worked really hard and she stressed education. Uh, but everybody didn't have that same um, value system in the community I grew up in. So working in this aspect of it and then going to city council to begin to direct resources uh, into neighborhoods, communities, and stabilizing families was important work to me and um, very passionate about it still to this day. And I just realized so many things that we knew we needed to happen, have happened on the local level. We were preempted from addressing at the state level. So abandoned houses, you know, and we got some legislation to support that. Um, gun violence, you know, we're preempted by the state to deal with that issue. Funding for a number of these issues, you know, not enough funding coming through the state to deal with housing, affordable housing, getting families that want to get out of high crime areas into better quality uh, communities that were affordable. Um, and then, you know, the game is played with the low income housing tax credit, and that's really kind of a political slush fund or had been. So all those things is what really kind of exposed me to the need to move upstream to address the root causes of what really got me exposed to politics. You actually just mentioned a topic that I was going to get into later in the show, but just to naturally get into it is the low income housing tax credit, because that does actually correlate with the job that you're running for. As we're talking about this right now, it looks like the state program is about to be turned back on. And it's been turned off since 2017, which a lot of people kind of across the political spectrum have been unhappy about. Some have been happy about it because they feel like the program is inefficient. I guess from what you just said, you were not super happy it was turned off on a state level. Would you have handled that differently uh, when that vote had happened? Well, I think it's important to recognize 
recognize the function of it. Uh, the function of the low income tax credits are to provide incentivize, to incentivize people to build or to create, uh, expand the, 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 the stock of affordable housing units. Uh, across the state, that is a huge issue, particularly for working families. You know, a person who's working every day and they're making less than 50 grand a year and they've got three kids, they need a three-bedroom house. I mean, I know in Kansas City, that unit is easily going to, in a decent school district, easily is going to be $1,500 a month. Um, and so many families are house poor under that scenario. So the low-income housing tax credit provides a subsidy of some sort to be able to make the rents, um, you know, affordable for working families. Um, so yes, it is a needed tool in this climate where wages have not kept up with inflation. Um, how the tool was being administered is what was at, at, at issue. And former Governor Greitens had issue with the way that it, it has happened. Our current governor, um, the elected lieutenant governor, previously elected lieutenant governor, I think is noted of receiving a lot of money from uh, the developers that seek those incentives as he sat on that board. Um, and that's kind of how it's been used in a lot of ways, kind of pay to play. Um, and so a phenomenal nonprofit community developers who needed those incentives may not have had access unless they had a lobbyist or had donated to the candidates that were on that commission. And so um, I think all tools need to be on the table when we talk about affordable housing and stabilizing working families. Um, but I also think there needs to be some accountability on how government officials are administering those dollars, any tax credit. Um, we need to look at whose who, who's donors are, are seeking application and um, making sure that there's not uh, inherent conflicts or bias in that process. I also wanted to know in the broad scheme of things, if you are elected to the post of Lieutenant Governor, what are some priorities that you would uh, want to pursue? Thank you for asking that. My number one, uh, my number one priority is to look for ways to expand opportunities for Missourians. Um, you know, the working families are hurting um, I mean, whether it's childcare, you know, or skills training to get them up to where they're able to earn more, more dollars. You know, I know we got this plan in place to gradually increase the minimum wage, but you know, the minimum wage is still not enough for a family of four. Um, and we've got to create resources or align resources to be able to empower our working families, because I believe that solves a lot of the challenges that we have, whether it be violent crime, uh, whether that be, you know, blighted communities, whether that be, um, you know, in increasing kind of like the livability overall. Uh, if people are able to, to, to better provide for themselves and their families, that makes a huge difference in quality of life. Uh, I think the next thing we have to look at is making sure we are taking a holistic approach and dealing with, um, you know, what economic development looks like for the state of Missouri. I believe it, we have to be holistic in that we're investing in human capital first meaning early childhood education, making sure that, that the education is fully funded, uh, making sure that we are fully funding uh, workforce training programs because we want people to scale up and have the skills needed to attract employers that we have a viable workforce here in Missouri. Uh, I think it's also important that we are intentional about supporting small businesses. The PPP was a great tool, the Paycheck Protection Program at the federal level, but how are we going to continue to subsidize that or support initiatives like that here at the state level to, incur, to keep our small businesses in place because we know that is the number one job creator. And many people who are displaced from their jobs as a result of COVID, um, many of them are gonna go into business for themselves. And how are we gonna support and stabilize that workforce, not necessarily the workforce, 
but but those new startups, what resources are we providing them? Are we providing them with technical support? Um, um, you know, some support as far as funding for those first few years to get them off the ground. Um, healthcare is a huge problem when you're self-employed. And so how do we align to make sure we're, we're, we're supporting um, those that are trying to, to do better uh, as far as their families are, are, are expanding businesses and preserving jobs? I think uh, one of the other reasons this race is getting probably more attention than 2016 is, as you kind of alluded to before, the winner of the 2016 lieutenant governor's race is now the governor of the state of Missouri, which I think has showcased why, like, the person that occupies this office not only has to be on boards and commissions and preside over the Senate, which we're going to talk about in great excruciating detail after the break, by the way, but also has to be prepared to become governor. So I want to, and I'm going to ask this to your opponent too, why do you feel like you would be ready to become governor of Missouri if the current governor resigns, dies, gets appointed, whatever situation it may be? That's a good question. And, you know, um, prayerfully nobody dies and, and prayerfully nobody gets indicted again. Um, and I would have an opportunity to be able to really get acclimated into, a, an, into the role comfortably before I would have to step in that just like uh, Governor Parsons did uh, at his election. But however, if it does not, I do meet the criteria according to the state constitution to serve as governor uh, in the event that that does occur. Um, Not only am I qualified to serve, I'm fit to serve in the sense that my commitment is to my constituents. I've demonstrated that as a public official at the local level. Uh, I've demonstrated that uh, in my professional career uh, as an attorney and advocate, you know, representing victims uh, for the, the Jackson County as an assistant prosecutor. But more importantly, I believe that Missouri needs culturally competent leadership right now. The issues that we're dealing with right now post COVID-19 uh, are such that um, you have to be able to be beyond what you know uh, and what you're comfortable with to put yourselves in somebody else's shoes to be able to address the needs. I'm concerned about the working mom who's homeschooling her kids. Uh, and may not have a job where she can work from home. Uh, and so she's having to figure out childcare and educating her kids and all that. I'm concerned about the senior citizens that have been sequestered uh, for the last six months because of COVID-19 uh, and are you know, dealing with mental health issues because they've been isolated for so long. I am concerned about um, African-American men who are 15 times more likely to die by gun violence in, in the state of Missouri than our three largest cities, Kansas City, St. Louis, and Springfield. Uh, and we don't have a real plan in place and a legislature that's willing to address these issues from a policy standpoint. I'm concerned about working families um, to make sure that we're doing everything we can to stabilize our economy, to make sure that they are able to provide and not just struggle and get through, but to thrive in some ways. We wanna be able to educate our kids. We want them to live in safe neighborhoods. We wanna make sure we're able to put some money aside from retirement. Um, And and that comes from uh, having leadership that's gonna be fiscally responsible and not politically motivated. And so I look forward to being able to work alongside the elected governor in that role, but in the event that I have to step in, uh, I'm fully clear, I'm fully aware of where my priorities are if that were to occur. In Illinois, the governor and the lieutenant governor run on the same ticket, right? They're always the same party when they are elected. So I'm I'm interested to know how the dynamic, if you were to be elected and Governor Parson were to be elected. Um, in November. How would that dynamic look? I mean, what do you think you could bring to the table in, you know, a way where you're providing a different perspective? He's a small town 
you know, sheriff, you're from Kansas City, a lawyer. Um, what would that dynamic look like? And, and um, how could that benefit the state? Well, I am banking on Nicole and I being elected together to serve uh, our agendas aligned and we're both committed to, to doing right by Missourians. Um, if for whatever chance that we um, end up on, you know, different outcomes, uh, I would do whatever I can to work with this uh, governor to, to enhance his effectiveness. Um, there is very clear he has some voids um, and leadership um, and, and I'm willing to support in a way that we're going to get the impact. Listen, I've worked in a nonpartisan environment at the local level, so I don't care what your political affiliation is. The things that I'm passionate about are nonpartisan. People, the lives of black and brown people is nonpartisan. Uh, creating economic opportunity or expanding those opportunities, nonpartisan. Uh, healthcare, access to quality healthcare for um, disadvantaged uh, families and seniors, nonpartisan. So there are enough issues, um, you know, that, that matter to all Missourians. That, and, and I have a philosophy, let's work on what we can agree on. And that's the attitude I will go into uh, that office with, uh, regardless of who, who sits in that seat. We'll be right back after this quick break with Democratic Lieutenant Governor candidate Alicia Candidate. And we're back on Politically Speaking with Democratic Lieutenant Governor candidate Alicia Kennedy. Okay, so I alluded to this before. This is one of the reasons I'm always interested in talking with Democratic Lieutenant Governor hopefuls. The Senate is going to be Republican. Like, there's no way for the Democrats to take over. It's possible it could become more Democratic if Deb Lavender and Judy Baker win their respective races. But if you win, you'll be presiding over a Republican Senate. I'd be interested to hear what your philosophy is, because this may seem like an inside baseball situation, but let's say you're presiding over the Senate and you have the ability to kill legislation, hypothetically, that could hurt a lot of people, in your opinion. You have that opportunity as lieutenant governor, or you could potentially like help broker between warring sides, hypothetically. What's your, your, what's your mentality on this? I think we have to work collectively to create good policy and, and good laws that empower Missourians, uh, that make it an easier place for us to do business and, and protect the rights of individuals. Um, I think that most people are sensible in most ways. Um, and to the extent that we can really identify the areas of opportunity where we can collaborate, great. Uh, but in those instances where we strongly disagree, um, like, you know, sitting, you know, preteens to prison uh, th that, that was part of the special crime session, um, absolutely I would use whatever um, procedural authority I have or political posture to be able to protect the rights of our children. But I think that, you know, obviously as, as the uh, Lieutenant Governor, you have the opportunity to preside over the Senate and being able to leverage relationships and political uh, opportunities with some of the uh, electeds to be able to, uh, to, to give buy-in um, for support or not support, the lack of support for certain things that may be negative, will negatively impact um, certain constituencies. Um, and I, I'm very willing to uh, operate in that capacity. And um, I believe that that is probably gonna be one of the only safeguards we're gonna have in this upcoming legislative cycle because it, it, you know, depending on who becomes president again, and people are just kind of in this weird space right now, what they're pushing, their agendas, uh, we have to have some kind of balance, a check in the balance and some real accountability across the board. You have mentioned this throughout the conversation, but 
what do you think about the special legislative session that's taking place right now? Um, the governor's call was to narrowly address violent crime. We've heard from a lot of Democrats throughout the state that they don't believe that it addresses the root cause of crime. Um, and that was something you also addressed or you just spoke about about your time on the Kansas City City Council. So what, is, what are your opinions of that? And um, even though Democrats have criticized some of these proposals, a lot of them have passed with bipartisan support. So um, yeah, just open-ended. What do you think about the special legislative session right now? I think, again, it goes back to my saying, let's work on what we can agree on. Those things that pass with bipartisan support where they made sense. I, I, I mean, it is what it is. And I think that there are more opportunities for us to further that work. Um, so I, I do um, acknowledge uh, the leadership that has come forward and made themselves available to be a part of this conversation, but we're just really skimming the surface and we've got to be willing to, to get outside of our comfort zones and really dig deeper and really deal with the real issues. You can't say you're really interested in, in, in violent crime and you're willing to cut education by $130 million. Those two don't reconcile. Um, you know, you can't say you're really committed to dealing with violent crime but then you don't want to expand Medicaid, which, which would provide funding and resources for substance abuse and mental health issues. We know our jails are full of people with mental health and substance abuse issues that are kind of really motivating them to act in the manner that uh, where they're not, you know, following the laws or the conditions of probation. So I think that if we're going to have a real conversation about, let's have a real conversation. If we're politically posturing, uh, which with some of this has been. Um, then, then, then let's, let's go through the exercise and then commit to doing the work at a time when it, when it makes sense. Um, but, but we are not in any ways really dealing with the real issue. And then even to the point where the governor wants to, you know, to, to get involved in uh, investigating homicides in, in St. Louis. I mean, that's really, again, a politically posturing because how does that really address the needs of the state when, when gun violence is not just in St. Louis? Gun violence is in Kansas City. Gun violence is in Springfield. You're not targeting those prosecutors. Uh, Jackson County Prosecutor Gene Peters Baker or the elected prosecutor in, in Springfield, Missouri. So let's 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 figure out how to deal with the let's keep the main thing the main thing uh, and deal with those issues um, and, and not get caught up in the optics of it to say you're doing something and kind of do this victory lap um, for 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 political, you know, just for, for the political space of it while you're you're campaigning for reelection. Because, I mean, this administration has had a number of years to address these issues uh, wholeheartedly, and Democrats have tried to, Moms Demand Action, other lobby groups have, have tried to, um, but, but they're not getting any, any traction at all on the things that really matter. Obviously, this is implementing Medicaid is not in the purview of the lieutenant governor's office, but you could clearly have some sway if they do some implementation legislatively and you're presiding. How would you make sure that Amendment 2 is actually followed through? We're seeing right now where you have a Republican-led legislature that does not always abide or adhere to the will of the voters. Like we're seeing on Clean Missouri, and they're trying to undo that. And then now with the passage of Medicaid expansion, um, I, I anticipate some assault on that um, in, the next in the next legislative cycle. Um, but I think that if we were to allow, afford it the opportunity to meet the needs of the residents of every county in Missouri, um, I think that we would see a huge impact uh, on the quality of life and, 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 and the ability for us to free up money in other areas um, to do some other things as well. Um, you know, from a legislative standpoint, again, that's one of those positions where I would definitely use my political perch, as you say, to be able to try to uh, mitigate what could come of any legislation that would come as a result of that. 
but also use my bully pulpit to educate voters in those counties that overwhelmingly supported it, that are historically red counties, um, to say, hey, your legislator is, is, is going against your will and willing to kind of undercut you um, in, in a way that, that, that could be life or death in some instances. And so whatever it's going to take to make sure we preserve that, because I believe that's probably one of the most impactful legislative uh, measures that we passed in a very long time. Obviously, the big topic this past spring, summer, leading into fall has been the coronavirus. Um, we saw uh, Democratic gubernatorial candidate Nicole Galloway come out um, most recently and criticize the governor's response to the whole pandemic. Um, but what do you think of his response to the coronavirus and what would you have done different? I know that we've seen some states, some counties, some cities within Missouri implement mask mandates. I know that um, Nicole Galloway mentioned that she thought that would be important as well. Um, what's your stance on that? You know, you, you kind of do what you know. And here in Kansas City, uh, we do have a mask mandate um, in, in, in the surrounding counties as well. If you go into public buildings, where my office is, you gotta have to have a mask to wear, you have to have a mask to come in the building. Uh, I think that is probably one of the most proactive measures that could have been taken um, because you have to kind of balance the interests of, you know, people need to do business as well as people who, you know, need to need to stay safe. And so to whatever extent we can minimize the spread, everybody can't stay home indefinitely. Like I said, these senior citizens who are been sequestered and are going stir crazy. Um, but then even, you know, people who, um, you know, don't have the flexibility to work from home. Um, or even businesses. Like I went to one of my favorite restaurants the other day and they have very limited hours now. Um, and so how do we kind of get back to some kind of normalcy uh, in the way of our daily lives? We can't stay hunkered away forever. So I think this is one of the most practical, pragmatic ways for us to be able to get back to normal and be safe in some regard. Now, some people are going all out with the official mask, just a, a face covering. That, that, that's all that's being asked of anyone. Just like if you sneeze, you cover your nose. I mean, we're just asking you not to spread germs. Um, as Lieutenant Governor, I would definitely support that and encourage other municipalities to consider that, particularly in densely populated communities like urban centers. Now, some counties, they haven't had any reported cases. They, don't ha they haven't really had the issue. But in my role as Lieutenant Governor, part of that is, you know, being involved in tourism. And we want the state to open back up, but we've got to be able to control the spread. And how do we do that responsibly? We don't want people just come in traversing throughout the state and they're coming from high risk area. I mean, we're not shutting down our borders like some other states have done in some ways, but we're just saying, if you're here, you're out in the public, we don't know if you've got it or who may have it in the space, just cover yourselves to make sure we, we are um, minimizing the potential spread and the risk of it. I wanna ask you about your pathway to victory. You're running against Lieutenant Governor Mike Kehoe. He's an appointed incumbent. He has not been elected in his own right. So this is his first attempt at winning a statewide office. How do you win this race and how do you defeat someone like Mike Kehoe? Well, I think the key to this election cycle is going to be making sure the Democrats show up. You know, you mentioned kind of some of the, 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 the areas of opportunity for um, Mike Kehoe. He has to overcome. He's never been elected statewide. He, you know, served two terms as a senator uh, representing the Cole County area. And, you know, he's known as a political insider. But out, out state, they don't know him, uh, which is how the placeholder candidate was able to get more than 20 percent of the vote um, and, and didn't even run a real viable campaign. It, it was almost kind of anybody but Mike. 
But I think that in the general election, it's going to be a little bit different because, um, you know, one thing about the Republicans, they show up consistently. And we know how many of them are going to show up. Uh, and we know how many Democrats normally show up. And there is a gap. And we have to be able to fill that gap. My, my, my strategy has been to educate, to engage and educate um, uh, voters on my platform. Um, and, it's, it, and even though I'm the Democratic nominee, you know, the issues that I'm running on are not partisan issues. Again, dealing with family, economics, health care, uh, education, those are value positions that both parties share. Um, so I am encouraging those that, you know, may have voted for the other guy the last time to reconsider because this election is too important. We can't afford to have a lieutenant governor that's missing in action. I get he didn't run for the race, but you, but you took the appointment and you got to show up for the job. Uh, and so by and large, he has not provided leadership in the areas where he is, uh, has a, a statutory uh, obligation to do so. Um, and I think that Missourians deserve better than that. So my job is to make sure they know who I am, they know what I represent, and I ask for their support in encouraging people to vote down ballot. That is going to be extremely important because people may or may not like the presidential candidates. There are some Republicans who don't like Trump. There's some Democrats that don't like Biden. But I, I tell everybody, listen, there's a whole lot of other people on the ballot you can choose from. So find what race you can support, support me and some of the others down ballot that uh, are going to be impacting your day-to-day -day life. I know in Jackson County, you got this, the, the, the sheriff and the prosecutors are on the ballot. So show up and vote for something, but also vote for the statewide down ballot candidates because we're the ones that are going to be making decisions that are going to influence, impact you and influence you on a daily, daily basis, particularly the legislators. So that's the conversation I push when I talk with people because you know, we know that the, the Democratic votes alone that they have normally shown up aren't enough if we have the same turnout we see in 2016. But we're anticipating it's going to have the same drop off like Obama had in 2012. He didn't have the same kind of turnout in 2012 as he did in 2008. We don't think Trump is going to have the same turnout either. But, you know, with all these riots and protesting going on, who knows? And so we're trying to make sure that people who support good government um, progressive policies uh, and, and care about having effective leadership is going to show up for the job prepared uh, or know who's on the ballot and vote to support myself, Lieutenant Governor, and many of the others on the down ballot. We're going through, you mentioned protests, riots. We're going through a very critical time in our country right now, um, particularly when it comes to the conversation of race. Missouri has never elected a Black statewide official before. Um, there are two opportunities this cycle um, to do that with uh, the Secretary of State candidate as well. But what do you think it's going to take to break this barrier here in Missouri and, and elect a, a Black statewide official? It's going to take voters to show up. I mean, I think at this point, Missourians want effective leadership. It doesn't matter what color they are. Um, because if we've seen in St. Louis County, many of the people out protesting for Black Lives Matter are, you know, um, you know, suburban white moms with their kids. They're saying, you know, this has got to stop. So I think there are enough Missourians that recognize we got to move beyond the issue of race and look at competency. Uh, I think that is one of the things that has come out of uh, some of the protests and conversations that have come along. Uh, and then when you look at leadership, um, you know, whether they're derelict in their, their duties or just totally incompetent, you know, people who have historically re voted Republican are saying, you know, I, it, it, I need I, more is to be desired, whether it's from the president or the governor or, many, so, or the lieutenant governor who's been MIA. 
there's more to be desired and they just need to know that there is better options available. Uh, and that's responsibility that we have. As it relates to the riots and the protests, you know, this again, I'll go back to what I said, Missouri needs culturally competent leadership. You gotta have somebody who understands what's going on and not just say, well, I've been in law enforcement for 30 years or 40 years of my career and this is the way we do things, send in the National Guard and want to commandeer, you know, prosecutors. No, that's not how you deal with the issue. They're asking for specific policy changes and you have not responded to those requests. At the state level and at the national level, they're still, you know, resisting um, the call for equity and justice. And I think that we have to be clear and that we're going to begin to do the work to help us get there. It's not going to get there overnight, but we've got to do the work. We've been here before as a country during the civil rights movement. This is round two and the stakes are a whole lot higher because we're just not in a place right now as a country in the midst of a pandemic to have that kind of uprising. You know, I'm really disheartened about the kid, the 17 year old kid whose mother drove him across state lines to that counter protest with an assault rifle and he ended up shooting two or three people. You know, that's an injustice in the midst of an injustice. But again, you got, you know, the leadership at the national level who's kind of, you know, fueling this fire of hatred and vitriol. And then you got people who are crying out for help in the streets and then they're being gunned down just like the people who they're protesting for. We've got to have good leadership. We've got to have leadership that's going to be accountable and responsive to the electorate. And we've got to have leadership that's going to step in and lead proactively and effectively. And we're not seeing that from, uh, you know, from leadership here at the state level. Well, thank you so much for joining us today on Politically Speaking. We're going to have Lieutenant Governor Mike Kehoe on at some point because we want to make sure our voter we want to make sure voters are informed about all the candidates. And we're especially thankful for you to come on to explain your platform and your ideas for all of our stories. STLPublicRadio.org. Follow me on Twitter at Jay Rosenbaum. Jacqueline, how can we follow you on Twitter? At Driscoll NPR. And how can we find out more about your campaign, either through a campaign website, social media, or any other place on the World Wide Web? Awesome. You can follow me on Twitter at Alicia Kennedy. That's A-L-I-S-S-I-A-C-A-N-A-D-Y. Uh, or check me out on my uh, website to learn more, more about my platform and how to get involved uh, at KennedyForMissouri.com. C-A-N-A-D-Y-F-O-R, Missouri spelled out, dot com. Thank you very much. And until next time, so long. 